Good morning, and thanks for being with us today. Sorry we couldn't be together in person at the park, but the weather just didn't permit it, but we're excited to be here with you this morning. So my wife has a big birthday coming up, and I won't say which one because our sofa is super uncomfortable, but let's just say it's half of a really big number. And so, of course, I'm already feeling pressure to get her something really special. Now, I like practical gifts, but I've made the mistake in the past with her of getting her stuff that's maybe too practical, like the time I got her these. Yeah, they're mop slippers. Maybe, maybe it was the slogan she didn't appreciate for the lazy housekeeper. Anyways, it didn't go over well. Not a good gift. But this happens all the time, right? Like we've all been given a gift we don't know what to do with. Maybe we're confused because we don't know what it is or possibly offended because it implies, hey, you need this. Or maybe even shocked because it was way too expensive. So what do you do with a gift like that? You know, in the Bible, it was not unusual for people with all kinds of wish lists to come to Jesus. It's often unclear exactly like what they believed about him, but they certainly, they were obviously hoping that he could and that he would give them what they wanted. And the Bible and the life of Jesus make it clear there is something that God wants to give us all. And it is, and I'll just admit it, let's be honest about it, it's one of those gifts, the kind that doesn't initially make sense. Because it can definitely be confusing because we probably aren't asking for it. It's more than a little offensive because the majority of us don't think we need it. And it is certainly shocking because of how much it costs. Yet there it is, God holding out this gift to each and every one of us for us to accept or not. Now there are a number of examples in the Bible of Jesus offering this gift. This is one of my favorites. This is what the Bible says. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, because of the crowd. so they dug a hole in the roof above his head and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now, don't overcomplicate this. This man, his friends, and everyone there was thinking the same thing we are. Huh? Forgiveness? That is not what he is here for, right? It's not what he needs. This is like Jesus offering him some mop slippers. You know, years ago, before our daughter Emily passed away, our family went to Disney World with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And as they were driving us from the airport, they broke us the news. We weren't going to have to wait in line for any of the rides. Well, you would think it was Christmas morning. There was cheering and shouts of joy. Lisa did manage to calm me down before I woke up the kids. But it was I was so excited because I was picturing us being escorted discreetly in, like behind the scenes to the front of the lines. But that isn't how it works. Make-A-Wish gives you these special passes that you wear around your neck all day long. And what you get to do is you go to the front of the line because you go in the exit. 
So here come the Gathrites walking in the exit. I mean, we might as well have been digging a hole in a roof. And that's how confused the people waiting in line were. I remember the looks on their faces. It was so awesome. So when the workers saw that we had these special passes, they would get the group off the roller coaster that had just finished, right? Now you have to picture all the people on the other side had been waiting for line, winding back and forth in this human snake of misery. And finally it's their turn to get on. And then out of nowhere, a family comes up the exit ramp and everything stops. Everyone else has to wait, totally ignored, while these little kids, an embarrassed mom, and their totally elated father get their choice of whatever seat you want on the roller coaster. It was so cool. So we created this huge scene, all of these people looking at us like, who do you think you are? And every time we did it, I felt kind of bad. I mean, we still did it all day long, over and over, but I did feel a little guilty. I mean, I'm not a monster. But the point is, it was obvious what we were there for, what we were doing, what we wanted. Now, imagine that scene and us getting to the front of the line and the guy running the roller coaster says something like, hey, great, you made it. Here's your ice cream. It is a massive disconnect. It would seem odd, weird, nonsensical, totally confusing. This paralyzed man and his friends created this scene. They cut in line. But they wanted one thing, one very specific, important, and real need. This is obvious to everyone, including Jesus. So don't miss what Jesus is doing here. He is saying, you think you know why you're here, what you want, and what you need. But you don't. Because more than anything else, you need forgiveness. When it comes to the life we all want, we all were made for, according to Jesus, forgiveness is the heart of the matter. I got the call today I didn't want to hear But I knew that it would come Old true friend of ours Was talking on the phone She said you found someone And I thought of all the bad luck All the struggles we went through How I lost me Outside love's open door Make us throw off our commitments And beg for something more I'm learning to live without you now Ooh, but I miss you sometimes The more I know The less I understand All the things I thought I knew seem to scatter but I think it's about forgiveness forgiveness even if even if you don't love me anymore 
Often describe Jesus' gospel of grace this way. There's nothing we can do to get God on our side because God is already on our side. And I have to tell you, the number one comment that I get when we talk about this goes something like this. Mike, you make it sound so good and so simple, but there must be something we have to do. And there actually is something we have to do. And we see it playing out here in this encounter with Jesus. Now, there may be nothing that we have to do, need to do, can do to get God on our side, but there is something we must do to get ourselves on His. We have to accept our acceptance. We must receive the confusing, offensive, and shocking gift of forgiveness. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we accept this confusing, offensive, and super shocking, because it's so expensive, this gift of forgiveness from God? Now, it's important to say from the beginning that if, if we won't, if, if we deny our acceptance, if we refuse our forgiveness, it doesn't mean that God will reject us. It only means that we're rejecting God. So back to our question, how do we accept the confusing, offensive, and expensive gift of forgiveness from God. Well, we've seen already that accepting our acceptance isn't easy because this gift of forgiveness is confusing. It's not what we wanted. But it's not what we're after when we come to God. Forgiveness feels like this gift of mop slippers. 
for, or maybe the offer of ice cream on a roller coaster. It is confusing. But the second reason that accepting our acceptance isn't easy, what makes it hard, what makes it difficult, is the gift of forgiveness is offensive. I mean, it implies something is wrong with us. It begs the question, why do we need forgiveness in the first place? It is really interesting that when Jesus forgives this man that was paralyzed, he forgives him of his sin. This is a guy that he had never met before. He'd never done anything wrong or bad to Jesus, but Jesus is acting like the guy had sinned against him. It would be like Paul punching Mike and then me turning to Paul and saying, I forgive you. You see, Jesus is suggesting forgiveness is the heart of the matter because we've all sinned against him. It's like he's saying, I made you, you're mine, I love you. And when you sin, you're hurting, you're damaging, you're breaking something absolutely precious and priceless to me. You. Look, when, when one of my students cheats, I get upset. But if I were to find out that one of my own children cheated, I would get really angry. Why? Why the different reaction? Well, I care about my students, but I love my children. And when they cheat or lie or steal, they're damaging, they're harming someone that I love desperately themselves. The anger I feel is equal to the love that I have. I was just listening to Alanis Morissette's new song that she just released actually a few days ago. It's called Ablaze. And she wrote this song for her children about the state of the world and the way things are right now, right? How ridiculous is it all? And this is how the song opens up with these lines. The first thing that you'll notice is separation from each other. Yes, it's a lie. We've been believing since time immemorial. There was an apple. There was a snake. There was division. There was a split. There was a conflict in the fabric of life. It seems to me, maybe, maybe you see it too, that she's right. And the Bible agrees. It calls this conflict in the fabric of life sin. And God hates sin for one reason. It's because he loves us and sin is killing us. This is why our first and most basic need is for forgiveness. Only forgiveness can clear the way, reestablish an open, loving, flowing relationship between us and God. But God's forgiveness only does that if we'll accept it. We don't have to do anything for God to offer us the forgiveness. That's religion. Religion goes out of its way to tell us all the things we have to do to earn our forgiveness. That is not what's going on in the Bible and the gospel of grace. Grace says we don't have to do anything for God to offer us forgiveness. He's done everything. But we do have to do something to receive it. One time, Lisa and I were in one of our enthusiastic discussions. Some people call them fights. We prefer to just rename them and feel a little better about it. And so I was ready to give up and give in and just move on. So I reached across the table, grabbed her hand, and said something like, look, honey, 
Let's just drop it. I just want to move on. And she gave me that look. And guys, you know the look, the how did I end up with you look. <laughs> and then she said, it's okay, Mike. I forgive you. Uh, pardon me. Like, I don't think so. Like, her forgiveness did not heal our relationship at that point. Why? Because I didn't think I needed it. I was offended, and therefore I didn't accept it. Look, there is nothing we can do to get God to accept us because he already accepts us. He already forgives us. But there is something that we must do to be in an open, loving relationship with him. We must accept our acceptance. We must receive our forgiveness. And that begins with acknowledging and admitting that we need it, that we have participated in this conflict that's torn at the fabric of life, that we have harmed ourselves and others along the way. And in doing so, we've broken God's heart. Look, I don't know why you're watching this today. Maybe you're unclear too, and that's okay. But maybe you're here, maybe you're watching because you know exactly what you're after, something specific, some direction in life, some peace, maybe a sense of belonging. And this is all really good and important stuff. Things, by the way, that matter deeply to God and deeply to storyline. But Jesus begins by offering forgiveness because we all need it. It might feel confusing, even offensive. But when we begin to realize the depth that the, of love that God has for us and the extent of the damage that we have done to ourselves and to one another, really accepting our acceptance, like facing that and receiving our forgiveness, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like a firm place to stand in life. And it becomes a cherished and foundational reality to build the rest of our life upon. It's the offer of a clean, fresh start every day. It's the reality of living in an open, honest, and loving relationship with God. You know, there seems to be, according to psychologists, and they all put it slightly differently, but if I could sum up so much of what the psychoanalysts are trying to teach us, there seems to be something about the human condition that in order to live with purpose and passion in the present, we require a firm hope for the future and peace with our past. Let me say that again. In order to live with purpose and passion in the present, we require a firm hope for the future and peace with our past. And the Bible tells us this kind of life grows out of a new heart that's rooted in forgiveness, nourished in acceptance, and growing in grace. So accepting our acceptance is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It's actually hard. It's actually difficult because the gift of forgiveness is confusing, like I didn't ask for this. It's offensive, like, I don't need this. But maybe more than any other element, what makes receiving the gift of forgiveness difficult is it's shocking. Like, this gift costs too much. It's too expensive. You know, I have the opportunity to meet with a lot of folks for all kinds of reasons, and it's 
It's actually my favorite part of what I get to do in our community. And what I love most about it is the honest and sincere questions that we're asking. Now, I hope I never give the impression in those meetings that I think I have all the answers. In fact, the other day, someone said to me, Mike, I feel like you never finish any talk. Like, I always leave with more questions than I came in with. And it really made my day. Because God is a mystery. His ways are not our ways. Yet there are some things that we can know something about. And one of the most common questions I get is about how shocking and costly forgiveness is. And the, so the question goes like this. Like, why did Jesus have to die? Why can't God just forgive? He went through the ringer. Yeah. It's not like Jesus had a cakewalk, though. You think Jesus ever trying to talk God out of some of that stuff? You know, like, hey, Dad, you know that whole crucifixion thing? Yes, you're dying on the cross for all mankind's sins. Yeah, yeah, hear me out. <laughs> what if instead of that, we did a big fundraiser? Look, if God loves us, why can't he just forgive? Why did Jesus have to die for God to be able to offer us forgiveness? These are really great. They're, they're actually very fair questions. A friend said it to me this way. If God can do anything, why can't he just forgive us? And I answered him with another question. Can God create a rock so big that even he can't lift it? In other words, there are things that even God can't do because of the nature of the task. And one of those is just forgive. God can't just forgive for at least two reasons. If I came to your house and I broke your lamp, I could admit it and pay the price to replace it. And that would make things right between us. But let's say that I can't pay for it. Now, the only option that restores our relationship is forgiveness. And here's what forgiveness means. In this and in every situation, it means I broke it, you pay for it. I broke it, but you pay for it. There is no such thing as just forgiving. I mean, think about it. To forgive means... If you need to forgive me for something, it means that you pay for it by buying a new lamp or you pay for it by living in the dark. There's no other options. No one ever just forgives. A price is always paid for every wrong. Always. That is why it's so hard to forgive. More on that in part two of this series. So God can't just forgive because of the nature of forgiveness, just like he can't create a rock so big that he can't lift it. We've broken something ourselves that we can't fix. And God also can't just forgive because of the nature of love, which is also why he has, he had to die to forgive us. Maybe it'll be helpful to think about it this way. Let, let's say it's date night. 
and Lisa and I have volunteered to babysit your children. And so you drop them off, and we're, right when you drop off your kids, we tell them the rules, like no running with scissors, eat your vegetables, you have to play in the yard, stay out of the road. Well, when you come back, you're driving down the street, the first thing you see is your kids playing in the road. And of course, you'd be horrified. You'd jump out of the car, Mike, Lisa, why didn't you do something about this? Well, what would you think if we said to you, oh, you know, we did tell them not to do it. We told them the rules and they broke them. But here's the good news. We just love them so much. We just forgave them. Now, you would not call that forgiveness love. That's neglect. For God to just forgive is not only impossible because someone always pays the price, it's also not loving because our separation from God comes at such a great cost to us. It will break us. It will eventually kill us. So this is what the forgiveness of God looks like when it's coupled with the love of God. Maybe think about it like this. We have all, in effect, run away from God. We are playing in the street, if you will. That is what sin is. It's our choice to separate ourselves from God. He hates it because it's bad for us. The natural consequences of this separation is not only dangerous, it's deadly. And the problem for God is this. God has this huge problem. Think about this. If he goes out into the street and grabs us and drags us back into the yard, we aren't really free beings. We've been kidnapped. We aren't people we're prisoners, and that isn't love. But if he does nothing, we're going to die. <laughs> that isn't love either. So here's where the genius and the beauty of the gospel of grace comes in. It's Jesus running into the street for us, not to grab us or to force us in any way, it's not what's happening. What he has done on the cross is like him jumping in front of the car that's going to hit us. That is what the crucifixion is. The cross of Jesus, on the cross, Jesus is voluntarily getting hit by the car to show us, to demonstrate the danger of living separated from God. He's showing us the cost and then paying it himself. He's absorbing the consequences for what we have done. He has done that for us because of us and if we'll let him instead of us. The Bible puts it this way. Jesus arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in his sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of the sacrificial death, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. That is the good news of the gospel of grace. You see, the cross not only tells us that we need to be forgiven, whether we know it or not, like it or not, or even agree with it or not. But the cross also tells us that we are forgiven. 
The price has already been paid by God. In fact, Jesus says, it is finished. We don't have to wonder if we're good enough, if we're getting things right. The entire point of the cross is we haven't, we aren't, and often we won't get things right. But our forgiveness isn't based on our goodness. It's based on God's. So you see, God can't just forgive because that's impossible. All forgiveness requires a price to be paid. And Jesus had to die because it's the only way to love us, to love us, not force us or manipulate us or scare us, but to love us back into his arms. So accepting our acceptance, receiving our forgiveness is something we have to do, not to get God on our side, but to get ourselves on his. The Bible has a name for this acceptance. It's called repentance. And it simply means to stop, change direction, change your mind, turn around. It's a surrender to the God who has already surrendered everything for us. And it's God's invitation to go back to the start. Chasing our tails Coming back 
take me back to the start. Look, we all need to be forgiven for breaking the thing that God treasures most. Us and his world and one another. And with that, God's heart. This is a price that is way beyond our ability to pay. Amazingly, graciously, Jesus has paid it for us by sacrificing himself. This means forgiveness is a gift. A sometimes confusing, sometimes offensive, and priceless one, but a gift nonetheless. God's forgiveness is already ours for the accepting or not. Now, over the course of the next couple weeks, we are going to talk about how living in the tenderness and the wisdom of accepted acceptance can heal our relationships, our self-image, and the roles that we play in our lives. We'll look at what forgiveness is for and what it can unleash in and through our real everyday lives. And I'm really excited to dive in that together because I truly believe gracious forgiveness of God is life-altering and world-changing news that lets us go back to the start together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. And thank you for the last few weeks when we were able to gather in person together, and we hope to get to do that again soon because we do miss one another. We thank you for your love and your grace, for your forgiveness. I pray that you would help us to see how it really is the heart of the matter. It is the starting line. It's the beginning of everything else. As we log off this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, folks. Hope to see you again soon.